Isaiah 31. Now flip a page. <laughs> and flip a page. And flip a page until you get to Isaiah 40 and stop there. Because that's the scripture I was supposed to be preaching from this morning. That was my fault. Just so you know, I messed that up. Um, I saw it this morning and I looked at it and I was like, that's not right. Um, and it's odd because I never make mistakes on a Sunday. <laughs> Oh, goodness. So I thought it would be fun over the, these weeks of Advent to, to use at least as a, a frame um, for some of the messages, or the messages on Sunday mornings, uh, some favorite Christmas songs. In fact, Mike started us with a favorite Christmas song this morning, and I know it was because I could hear and, and see some of, you, some of you singing along. So I thought some some. Christmas songs would be a fun way to kind of think through the, the message of Advent. Now, they're all not necessarily going to be, over these weeks, uh, religious songs. In fact, the, uh, the song that, that I used for our first message um, is not a particularly, well, not at all, really, a religious song. But it is a, a Christmas song, or at least it gets played every year at Christmas. And the title, as, or title is, as you may have seen, Last Christmas. And some of you may have no idea what song that even is. Some of you do. But it, wasn't, it didn't come out until 1984 by a British group by the name of Wham. Some of you know Wham. George Michael and Andrew somebody. What was this? Ridgely? Okay, Andrew Ridgely. I knew it was Andrew somebody. That's, he was the sidekick. But, but it was last Christmas. Uh, interestingly enough, the two most popular Christmas songs in the United Kingdom came out that same year, Last Christmas, and then um, Do They Know It's Christmas, which was one of those um, uh, uh, charity songs. Yeah. What's that? Band-Aid. Thank you. It's I did a lot of research on that song. Um, and Wham! was on both of them. That's the whole point I was getting at. They sang, George Michael sang with both of them. But here's why I chose the song. Because it, it has an interesting lyric to it. And, and it says this. It says, last Christmas, I'm not, not going to sing it. You know I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> but last Christmas, uh, I gave you my heart. And the very next day, you gave it away. That's right. That's right. Later on, in talking about this love that gave his heart away, he uses the title, You Have a Soul of Ice. And um, it is not, it, it is a cheerful song in music, it's a peppy, but if you really kind of, really just kind of read the lyrics, it's not a happy Christmas song. It's a song of, of lost love. It is, um, it's, a, it's a lament. It's a song of, of sorrow. And, and I thought that would be an interesting way to start to frame our thoughts for this first Sunday of Advent, because you know, we, we tend to think of, of Christmas as this incredible time of great joy, and it is. We tend to think of Advent as a time of, of great enthusiasm, and it is. But it can also be for many a time of significant lament, of, of feeling the pain of, of loss in, in any number of ways. And so, so the season can both elevate emotion to, to peak highs, and it can cause 
significant lows. In fact, that was really the heart of the program that some of our Stephen ministers, I know Bill Clark and Don Karras and Millie were a part of um, last week, which was surviving the holidays. You know, how do, we, how do we understand God's presence in the midst, not when we're kind of up here, but when we're, we're down here? And I, and I started thinking about songs that kind of stalk, talked about that. And, and, you know, Last Christmas was just the one that came to my mind first. But, but there's others. Elvis did one called Blue Christmas, which was, I think, another song about lost, lost love. Um, John Denver did one that I had never heard before. And I, I grew up with John Denver. But it was called Please, Daddy, Don't, don't Come Home Drunk This Year. And it sounds, it sounds kind of like, you know, that it's, it's, it's please, Daddy, don't get, don't get drunk this Christmas. And it sounds kind of, you know, ha-ha, that was my first thought too. But when you hear it, it's, it's a sincere song about a boy who's, who talks about that when his father gets that way, his mother cries. You know, and, and so there's this, Nat King Cole did a remake in 1957 of a song called The Little Boy That Santa Forgot. And it is haunting um, in Nat King Cole's beautiful voice, but, but, but a haunting song. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not wanting to, you know, oh, great, yeah, let's start the season of joy with an upper for a Sunday sermon. <laughs> but, but the reality is, whether it's this season for you or not, we... We do have those places in our life when we, you know, not are up at the top, but, but, you know, are feeling the sense of loss. The lament. Lament is just a sincere expression of grief or sorrow. These are laments. The scripture is full of laments. The book of Lamentations is a book of laments. Psalms and and the prophets Jeremiah laments, cries out to God in in times of sorrow, in times of, of hurt. And so how do we begin to understand what Advent says to us about those realities in our lives. Whether you're there now or, or have been there, we can draw on, on those experiences. And so when we turn to Isaiah 40 this morning, the very first words, which we'll come back to, are the words that kind of framed this, this text for me. But Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 9, it says, Comfort, comfort my people says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged place place is a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and their faithlessness is like the flowers of the field. Or faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up to the high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here 
is your God. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, that we would boldly and with joy proclaim, here is our God. And may your words speak to us. May your scripture comfort us. And Lord, may we draw close to you in this day and these days that will follow. We ask it in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. Proclaim, here is your God. The the, the text begins with the words of comfort, which we're going to get to in a moment. And it ends with this declaration, here is your God. And and this declaration is really where where Advent begins for us. This declaration, here is your God. Advent, as as was read during the, the lighting of the wreath this morning, Advent means to come. And so when we celebrate Advent, we celebrate the coming of God in the the person of Jesus Christ. God made flesh. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. And that is is the heart of of why this this season and this preparation for Christmas and why the celebration of Christmas is so important to us because it reminds us that God came to us. And and there was was reasons for that. And And one of those reasons is that God wanted to be able to express to us His love as He identifies as he came to experience our suffering. He came to experience and to know the same pains that that we feel. I mean, it's amazing that God would chose to become so vulnerable that he would be born an infant. I mean, there are stories in mythology of gods that would come to earth. If you know your, your Roman uh, mythology or Greek mythology, you know that the gods would, obviously, would often um, manifest in, in human form. But they would never be vulnerable to humanity. They would never be dependent upon humanity. But we start with a story of God's coming to us. We start with the story of Advent, with God's birth in the person of Jesus as a completely dependent utterly um, needy child. That's why this selection of Mary was so important because she would nurture God himself. And so it is this, this understanding that then from that story all the way through resurrection, over and over, we have opportunities as we look at the life of Jesus to make the proclamation of Isaiah, here is your God. When we look in the manger and see the child, we say, here is our God. We look at, at a, a, a young man on the Sea of Galilee calling his first disciples, we say, here is your God. And healing and, and comfort, healing the sick and comforting the hurting. Here is your God. And weeping over Jerusalem that would soon reject him. Here is your God. And being crucified and nailed to a tree. Here is your God. And on the third day, risen again. Here is your God. This is the story of our faith. A God who comes to know our experiences. Because to share those experiences builds a connection. It builds a connection. There's a, there's a story of a, a woman by the name of Patricia Moore. She's called the Mother of Empathy. That's the title that was given to her. And I read the backstory of where she got that title. As a young student, 17 years old, and this was in the late 70s, she was a student at the Rochester Institute of Technology. And um, she was looking, I think she was on a bus one day, 
And she looked out and she saw an older gentleman, kind of disheveled, and he was carrying a couple bags of groceries. And he was walking down the street and he was having a really difficult time of it. And as she saw this older gentleman, she thought of her own grandparents and her love for her grandparents and some of their struggles. And, and as she began to, to, to process that, which she processed over a time and, and began her career as a, as a designer, a product designer, uh, she wanted to be able to identify with the struggles across all age limits, especially those who were in their older years. And so she did something remarkable. She, uh, she had made friends. She was in New York. She made friends with a, a makeup artist that worked on Saturday Night Live. And she had this makeup artist create for her um, a facade, if you will, of, of an 80-year-old woman. The makeup, the, pla- the makeups and things and the, the um, plastic, um, whatever it is they put on, you know, to, to change the, the reality of somebody's um, facial features. And she would, she would have her fingers taped up so she couldn't bend them very easily. And she'd wear gloves. She had her legs wrapped with ace bandages so she couldn't bend very, very easily. Um, she, she, had, she would put wax in her ears so she couldn't hear and some sort of a, an eye drop that would kind of blur her vision. And she began to go out and to try to experience life, not as at that point a young 20s somebody, but as a woman who was 80 years old, and to see how she was treated. And she reflected on that. She did this for over three years. 116 cities that she visited. And she talked and reflected, because she would later write a book called Disguised, A True Story, of how, in fact, she, even, she told one story of going to a, a business meeting with other designers, and she went in as this older woman, and she said that, that people ignored her. They didn't invite her to have coffee. They didn't um, include her in the discussions. They didn't, they didn't involve her at all. The next day she went to a meeting again, uh, you know, as they were all, and this time she didn't have on the makeup. She went as herself. And she said it was amazing how different it was. All of a sudden people were opening doors for me. They were inviting me to coffee. They were including me in the conversation. And then one of the designers said, you know, yesterday there was an older woman here. Maybe we should have asked her what she thought. Because they were designing products. This was the kicker. I didn't, they were designing products for older adults. And she pulled in her bag. She said, I pulled out of my bag the wig that I'd worn the day before. And they knew. And she said, it completely changed. But here's, here's the point. Here's, here's what I'm getting at. She did this. She did this because... In order, and she's, she's, she's a, a gerontologist, so she not only designs, but she studies um, older adult challenges and struggles. But she knew that the best way to create for those in that place is to be able to identify as best she could with the reality of what life was like for, for somebody in their 70s, 80s, or 90s. She wanted to be able to connect and identify. That's what God did for us in Christ. To be able to say, I, I know, I, and I've talked about this before, that we never look at our God and say, you just don't understand. Because God does. Because God has been there. And that creates powerful connection in all of our lives. When we know somebody who has walked where we walk, it builds a connection. I know as a young 20s, you know, as 21-year-old, um, I lost my mom to cancer. I've shared that story before. And, and in the, that time of grief and, and, and loss... 
I had so many friends that reached out and, and supported and loved me, and I'll forever be grateful for that. But I'll tell you some of the most meaningful and powerful conversations I had was with a, a classmate, a young lady, who had also lost her mother. And we would sit sometimes for hours and just talk and share. It wasn't that everybody else's love and support wasn't important. It was. But, but we knew powerfully, uniquely, and painfully what that experience was and allowed us to share and to, to have an empathy with each other that, that was beyond because she knew. Because she knew and I knew. And, and years later when, when Tony and I, when our, fir our first pregnancy ended in a miscarriage, and uh, we, were, we were devastated. And, and I remember our church family in North Carolina. I was in seminary at the time, and, and they loved us and embraced us. But, but one of the most powerful conversations we had was with somebody who was in our Sunday school class named Tanya, who we had known for years, who came to our house, our, our apartment one day, and she sat down, and she'd never shared this with us. And she says, I know what it's like. And she shared her story of miscarriage, multiple miscarriages. And it created a bridge of connection for us that was powerful. And you know this. You've, you've been that or you've experienced that. This is what God does for us. This is why incarnation is so important. That God comes to identify, to know, to experience. He knows. He knows. So in those moments of life, God that we struggle, those moments when we're down here, not up here. God knows what it's like to be at the, the, the height of joy. But God also knows what it's like to experience the depth of sorrow and heartbreak. God knows. And that's powerful. And this is why that is so powerful. And this is why God desired to know. Because it comes back to the very first verse. Comfort thy people. God cares about our brokenness. God cares about you and me and, and our brokenness. God cares about our hurt and our losses. The, the people of of that Isaiah is writing about. The people of Israel, they're experiencing, not, it's not an individual experience, it's a collective experience. They're feeling the loss and the heartbreak. They've been carried into exile. The, the, the land that, I, that was their identity, the, the, the kingdom of Israel, the place, the holy places that, that were the foundation of their faith, they don't have access to anymore. They're under the thumb of, of um, a, another dominant power. And, and they're hurting and they're broken. And, and Isaiah says that God's comfort comes. And in fact, it says he builds a highway. He smooths the, the high places and the rough places. So that what Isaiah is saying is that God is making this highway for you to be able to return to your homeland, to find that connection, to find that peace and that comfort that you so long for, that the way will be made for you. And centuries later... A prophet would come by the name of John the Baptist who would talk about the same way being made in a more profound manner. And that is the way that, that God was going to make for his people not to connect with a, a place, but connect with a person. And that person is Jesus because he longs to comfort the hurting. He longs to bring peace to us even and most powerfully in those moments of our brokenness and our pain. If, if that's where you are right now, Know that you are not forgotten. You are not, you are not forgotten. God, in fact, the, the, the story of Advent, the coming of Christ, is most profoundly to bring a peace and a comfort and a restoration to those who are broken and hurting. In many ways, in our worst moments, is the time the coming of Christ is most profoundly personal for us. 
because he knows and he came to heal and restore and bring peace to you. And I pray that you know that peace. There's an English professor at Southern Illinois University, Brian Carn um, Reagan. And uh, he tells a story that his father used to tell him every year at Christmas. And the story is about a, a young boy who was uh, very, very poor. Very poor. Uh, father wasn't present, just he and his mother. And um, knew there was going to be no Christmas. In fact, he was so poor, he only had one toy. It was an old car that he would play with. Two wheels that was falling off. The roof was caved in. A, a little one of the toy windows was broken. It was just falling apart. But he loved that car. Loved it. He was excited for Christmas. Not because he was going to be getting any presents, but because it was the first year he was going to be able to go to the Midnight Mass. And he knew at the Midnight Mass at church that people were invited to bring their gifts and lay them at the manger. Lay them at the foot of kind of a manger like we, we have over here. Lay them at the, the Christ child. And, and he knew that people would bring ornate gifts, chalices and for, for, for the altar. And, and they would bring financial gifts or they would bring clothes for the needy. They'd bring all these beautiful gifts. And he wanted to, he wanted to be a part of that. So he uh, set out for weeks to do odd jobs to make some money. And he did, and the day of Christmas Eve came that afternoon, and he was sitting at his table, and he was counting his money, and he knew he was going to be able to buy a nice gift for the Christ child. Before he's done counting his money, his money, his mother walked in and saw the money and said, Oh, what a good boy you are. Now we'll be able to have a Christmas meal. And she took his money and walked out the door to go to the market before it closed. And he sat there dejected. He sat there sad, and he didn't know what he was going to do, and you're probably knowing where the story's going. He decided he would give the Christ child his toy car. So he made his way to church, and he made his way to the Mass, and he went up to the, the Christ child, and he, among all these nice gifts, he laid his car. And then he sat down as close as he could to be able to see it. Before the service began, one of the ushers walked by and was just checking to make sure everything was okay, and he looked at the manger, and he saw these nice gifts, and he saw this old beat-up car. And he thought, who would bring such a junky gift to the Christ child? Who left this piece of junk here? In fact, he said it out loud, and the little boy heard it. And he picked it up, and he just tossed it off to the side. And the mass started, and the boy had no time to react. And as he sat there heartbroken, he said, in that moment, as the story goes, the ceramic child in the manger came to life. And he crawled out of the crib. And he crawled across the stone floor and he scooped up the car. And he crawled back to the manger. At this time, everybody's knees hit the floor. Everybody's stunned and the child crawls back into the manger. And one of the ushers rushes to check. And again, it's a ceramic Jesus, only this time cradling the car in his arms. Now, Brian Reagan tells that story. He says, as a child growing up, he hated that story because he didn't like his father. He said his father was an alcoholic, much like that song we started at the very beginning. And he was abusive and he was mean. And he felt that his father told that story to manipulate him. He thought his father told that story to make himself look good. But as an adult, he writes, 
I see that story differently now. I understand why my father told that story to me every year. And it wasn't because he identified with the little boy who brought that broken car to Jesus. But rather, he himself knew he was the broken car. And he longed, even in his brokenness, to know the embrace of his Savior. To know a God that would crawl to embrace him even in his brokenness and his sin. And I think about that story and I think about our lives. We find ourselves sometimes very broken. Here's what the story of, of Advent means for us. Here's what God's incarnation means for us. That God longs to embrace us. God longs to heal and restore and comfort us. We are the broken toy that Jesus scoops up and holds in his arms. That's the gift of Christmas. That's true for us at the mountain, and it's true for us in the valley. I pray that when the moments of lament come, and they do, that you know here is your God, and he longs to love you. That is the story of Christmas. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for the promise of Christ. Thank you that you came to know our pain, but to know our pain so that you could comfort us in our moments of suffering and difficulty. Be real in our lives, wherever we are this Advent season, and may we encounter your presence in profound and life-changing ways. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.